0: Speaking as somebody that just rewatched about 20 minutes of Some Like It Hot,
1: hair dash and dash, makeup dash artist.com.
0: They love their hats.
1: So the men don't really have as many options. Welcome to
0: Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's once again. Research centered this week.
1: <laughs> I was really hoping for something a little bit more creative. Yeah,
0: well, I uh, I had to, I, I got nothing. Sorry, I, I was on the spot and I froze. What's
1: your name, Johnny on the spot?
0: I'm Amy Schneider.
1: I'm Kelly Anakin.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, and we're back. We're back. Back with another exciting, the crown slash call the midwife themed episode. Absolutely. <laughs> uh,
1: not only are we back, we're backwards. <laughs> That's right. Because it's time for the second. Of our two recurring segments (laughs) that don't recur as often as they once did. Fashion Backwards. Namesake of the Fashion Backwards Award for Backwards Fashion, a.k.a. The The Backy. Oh,
0: Oh, the the (laughs) Backy.
1: Listen, I'm telling you, all we got to do is keep kind of doing this podcast until they inevitably do a Downton Abbey sequel yeah yeah
0: i do miss that although i was planning to continue my so far one month long streak of posting my least favorite outfit from shape magazine so (laughs) well i could call that the backy
1: no you can't no it's no (laughs) (laughs) that's our thing
0: (laughs) all right i won't do it
1: good great let's talk about fashions Okay. All right. <laughs> so we're going to start in the 1950s, Ooh. and I'm going to go through the fashions and trends and then get into some stuff that's a little bit more specific to Call the Midwife and the Crown. Okay. Including my much vaunted exploration into Prince Philip being a dick. Ooh.
0: Yes. That's the money stuff right there.
1: And I apologize if some of this is rehashed from the last time we did this for mm. the Crown. Because it's really hard to type in, "Hey, I want to know about stuff from 1955 to 1965." They're just like, he, he, "No,
0: yeah," is how yeah. the internet
1: goes. Yeah, so I can believe it. We'll start with women's haircuts—the haircuts that make sense. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The 1950s men's haircuts is just like Jesus Christ, mm. really. And I mean, like, they're, they're fairly normal, but like now, like every haircut that men have in the fifties is a lesbian haircut. <laughs> so you tell me, penny loafers. <laughs> so we see in the 1950s is really sort of where you're getting the golden age of Hollywood mm-hmm. and. Women in Hollywood had always been sort of trendsetters. But to me, you're getting this golden age of Hollywood in conjunction with this post-war economic boom. Mm, So mm -hmm. there's a lot more options. You're seeing things start to get a little daring, which is weird to say about the 50s. But uh, first of all, there was the Italian cut. Uh, Dorothy Dandridge had this. And it was sort of like a short, curly mop. Mm. Um, I think Sophia Loren had it as well, which would make sense that why it was called sense. the Italian yeah. cut. Um, But also, you know, Italian films featured it. Films like La Strada, Three Coins in the Fountain, The Rose Tattoo, and Summertime. Now, these are all kind of in the early 50s, like 1954 okay. to 1955.
0: I was going to guess Roman Holiday.
1: Well, that I think is more in the 60s.
0: I really don't know.
1: Um, and this is where we sort of see the celebrity hairdresser Ooh. kind of start to rise, uh, leading of course to Vidal I was going to
0: say, did any of them fight in the Arab-Israeli war?
1: Only one that I know of. <laughs> and there was a person named Sidney Gwilarov. Guilaroff, Gualaroff, I don't know. Okay, but he started doing hair in the 1930s, mm. and uh, he is the person who styled Grace Kelly's hair in her 1956 wedding to Prince Rainier of Monaco. Yeah. I wish they had done something with that on the crown. Yeah, I mean uh, we're yeah. we're well past it now, but it would I have been interesting. I mean, yeah. I assume they were invited. You would think. I don't know. Anyway. Teenagers finally became a recognized demographic Mm. uh, on account of their being spoiled ass little bitches. (laughs) Shout out to the baby boomers. Yeah.
0: But I believe we did.
1: graffiti. We did cover that in the previous Uh, one. So I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. So the Italian cut, it's short and shaggy yet sculptured. This website is not good. Hair dash and dash makeup dash artist dot com. <laughs> Where did I go wrong?
0: All five words.
1: <laughs> People also started just getting shorter haircuts. This is really, mm. you haven't seen haircuts this short since before World War II. World War II was much more about Xingyongs and having long hair <laughs> yeah. and putting it up and stuff. So. These are not, however, the the bobs and crops of the 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. They're much uglier. (laughs) One includes the bubble cut where the hair is teased into tight curls all over and the mm. poodle cut, which makes you look like a dog. Oh, dear. And you do <laughs> see, in, in the sense where women are putting their hair up, you're seeing ponytails much mm. more than, you know, a chignon a or a bun. So teenagers are using like the high ponytail mm. and bangs were very short. So the trend that you see now of having like a baby bang is actually kind of a throwback to the 1950s. Oh, okay. You also see the page boy come in, which is sort of, I think, of being sort of like the Kim Novak look.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: They yeah. say Marilyn Monroe sometimes styled her hair that way, but I don't think she did, assholes. Speaking of somebody that just
0: rewatched about 20 minutes of Some Like It Hot... Huh? <laughs>
1: Why did you do that? It
0: came up on TCM. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, Amy, you know, they were pretending.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And now I have more questions this time. Like, how did they
1: shave? yeah listen they weren't look when did mike mulligan go to the bathroom <laughs> oh incidentally i'm starting i guess i'm almost done with the first book in the broken earth trilogy by nk jemisin and there is a trans character that i wasn't expecting oh yeah so there you go trans people we're everywhere yeah you really are no i know you always have been that's right anyway the pixie cut comes in although at this point it is called the gamine look yeah. again this website Gross. is terrible there were other shortcuts too like the butch cut I okay and that's all the information we did. <laughs> and bouffants were popular. So this is in the mid 1950s and I believe leads kind of directly to the beehive. Mm, okay. Uh, the beehive starts to get popular in the late 1950s but is most prominent in the 1960s.
0: Right, right.
1: But you know, this is when hairspray became very popular. Uh <laughs> the the product not the musical (laughs) bouffants definitely limited the hats you could wear oh yeah so you would have to accessorize with different things you Mm. couldn't really wear a hat so in part I think that's why we don't see the bouffant being too popular with the royals and the crown because you know they have to wear hats
0: they love their hats
1: This site, despite being real crappy, Mm -hmm. does talk more about black women's hair, which is great. So, you know, straightening was the socially acceptable thing to do. It was very much about assimilation at that point. You know, you haven't had the civil rights movement in the 60s and not the black power movement of the 60s and 70s. People were really trying to blend in. Mm -hmm. So you could straighten your hair at home or in a black beauty salon. And if you've ever seen the August Wilson play The Piano Lesson, there's a scene where a woman straightens her daughter's hair on stage.
0: Mm, I but, have not.
1: Yeah. So you put oil on the hair and you have to heat a metal comb mm-hmm. to run through it. And it was extremely painful to do this. I mean, you're mm-hmm. putting an extremely hot comb right up on your scalp. Yeah. And yeah. so it was a very difficult, time-consuming process. Yeah. The other thing that happened, though, in the 1950s, chemical hair relaxers came out. Basically, they were lie based uh, also not great for you. Yeah. You know, so you could chemically straighten it, and I believe, yeah, that, and this is permanent, like, as in, like, a-permanent, uh-uh. but with straight hair rather than curly. Okay. It would stay straight even after contact with water. And then, of course, wigs were then, as they are still now, very popular right. for black women. The other really interesting innovation here was hair coloring really advanced at this point. Mm. And there were one-step products, which is you know what we use today that you can pick up at your drugstore, uh, okay. where you can do all of this at home. They would also use what they called chameleon streaks, so they were little basically mm. little highlights that you could attach to your hair or glue onto the front of your hairline with spirit gum. Hmm. So really, it's just funny to me, like everything old is exactly what we do now. Yeah, yeah. Henna was a popular colorant, although you know that dates back to, you know, like India,
0: right, right in the
1: ancient days. So like that's not a new idea. Well, But it was used by Lucille Ball, just FYI. So she was a henna redhead. She was a natural blonde. I don't know if everybody knows that, but she was.
0: I did not.
1: There were a lot of hair combs and false hair. In the olden days, these were called switches. Hmm. But they would often be used to add a chignon or a plate. Mm. So rather than having really long hair that you would have to twist into these elaborate things, you could just... Pop them right on. (laughs) You know, formality in general was fading by this point. Mm -hmm. So people weren't going out with a hat and gloves and a bag. And again, with the bouffant and, you know, the proto Mm beehive, people didn't want to wear hats as often. So again, this is where we see the royal family and the crown being extremely staid and conservative, whereas we see these young women on call the midwife. Mm -hmm. You know, they're pretty on top of the trends. Yeah. You know, in varying ways. Yeah, but you know they all—they are all a lot more current than the royal family.
0: <laughs> sure, royal families never even seen a prostitute, let alone birth their children. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> At least the seeing them part. Well,
0: yeah, I'm just teasing our Phillips segment again.
1: Yeah. Oh, listen, <laughs> it's—it's a coming. Yeah. So for men. Look, I agree with you, but also, you know who was very handsome was that James Dean.
0: (laughs) You know, I've heard that.
1: Oh, like I was scrolling through this thing and I was just like, damn. So obviously... I had
0: actually, I had a similar reaction when you scrolled past Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. I was like, God, Jesus. Right? It's just
1: like, they really don't make them like that anymore. Yeah, They all look like they went through the Disney Channel first. (laughs) So the men don't really have as many options. Oh yeah. Yeah. So there is sort of like this sort of like slick back style. Crew cuts are really popular. Pompadours in various ways. Mm -hmm. There's something called a quiff and I don't quite understand what that means. Mm. Um, You know, the side part was very popular and was sort of the the most socially acceptable thing. Right. You know, when you start getting into, like, greaser haircuts and doing anything that Elvis did, people are not thrilled. Yeah. You know, Frank Sinatra kind of looked like a narc. And then you have (laughs) the duck tail, which is also known as a duck's ass, which, yeah, I didn't know that. So, you know, the more you know. I actually,
0: I did. I had heard of that one. They would call it the D.A.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like the district attorney?
0: No, the duck's ass. I know.
1: <laughs> I'm being an asshole. Ooh, just look. I'm just scrolling past James Dean. I mean, damn. Oh, and he looks so tortured. Purported bisexual James Dean. <laughs> That's right. Oh, the other thing, and we know this from Call the Midwife, a Brill Cream became um, extremely popular. And again, yeah. like all of the hair product that I use today with my orientationally ambiguous haircut uh, yes. were all used by the men's in the <laughs> 1950s. Yeah.
0: You use brill cream?
1: No, but I use pomade. <laughs> yeah. Which brill cream is a type of. Also, definitely. daily applications of butch wax were used to make the short hair stand straight up from the head, which is essentially what I do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The gay side of your haircut is definitely very butch.
1: Yeah. I still don't understand... I guess a quiff is just a pompadour, but sometimes they say it's a pompadour and a quiff. So it's just like, I don't like I'm just not into labels. (laughs) Yes. To reiterate, like literally, if you look at me in full profile, I am completely butch on one side, (laughs) completely (laughs) femme on the other side. And really, it's the truest expression of me as a person. Yeah, I think. No, I think you nailed Uh, it. I like to think that I'm shaving off 30% of my hair in the (laughs) hopes of making up for the wage gap, but so far this has not been successful. (laughs) Oh, the more respectable haircuts were sometimes called the Ivy League. But I mean, I really do think the 50s was very much the jumping off point for really this very like preppy style Yeah, as it really you know became popularized
0: right right
1: after that i don't know what i'm saying no i get it okay i just feel like you always do better than me and i hate that no it's not (laughs) it's it's not
0: true and actually i mean part of what it is is that you're better at being the like sidekick in these than i am yeah
1: that's true yeah okay well it's good that we all have fun yep So let's get into makeups, shall we? Ooh. I know. I knew you would be pleased that I was devoting an entire section to makeup. I am. Makeup of the 1950s, again, we're getting some golden age Mm -hmm. nomenclature here. And this is also the era when models who were just models started to happen versus Uh, being people who are also famous for other stuff. Right. And they were just like, what? You know, (laughs) I'm a model. In Britain, there was a company called gala of london and so they really were selling this hot couture sensibility Mm -hmm. with their makeup and the trends here become it's it's like a very heavy foundation layer Uh with you know matte face powder this is essentially what i do today Yeah. yeah this
0: all sounds familiar
1: yeah so let's see what happened hazel bishop Created the first non-smear lipstick in 1949 and 1950. Revlon had their own in 1953. And pastels briefly replaced reds as the lip color of choice for a bit in the 1950s. There was much more minimal eyeshadow than in previous decades. The big thing Hmm. here became eyeliner. So Uh, the big trend in the 1950s is eyeliner. And I think we see this a bit more on Princess Margaret than we do on Liz. Yeah.
0: Oh, eyeliner. My only (laughs) love sprung from my only (sighs) hate.
1: Oh, I thought we were talking about Andrew Davis. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I was talking about actually, yeah. Eyebrows were natural looking, but they were very tapered and feminine. And actually, when I was looking through Mm. all of this, it's very like Ann Tainter. That kind of look. yeah, yeah. And people used rouge a bit less... And pink was just all over the place, much like the new Janelle Monae jam. <laughs> the wing effect was very popular. So sort of the oh, cat's yeah. eye mm-hmm, application mm-hmm. of eyeliner. And eyelashes were very subtle. So you would have this very dramatic eyeliner mm-hmm. and very subtle in terms of like mascara or okay. any tint on the eyelashes. Okay. And, okay, I don't know what this means, but it's creepy. Lips. Many tutorials advise creating a smile effect with lipsticks achieved by drooping. I don't know what that means. I assume it's sort of like doing a Joker thing where, like, there's a little bit of an upturn. Yeah. But it sounds real creepy and, like, obvious to me. Yeah. Well, I also
0: feel like like I've heard of this and I feel like it was also sort of about, like, basically not even doing that, but just not going as far on the upper lip. Uh Uh-huh. So that like...
1: Oh, we have that sort of like cupid doll look? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Anyway. I could be wrong. I don't know more about that. If you are a makeup professional and you know stuff, uh, let us know.
0: Yeah. Give me a makeover.
1: Now, so this is a bit strange because I don't think this is accurate, although glamourdays.com may disagree. Oh wow. Well, but they're saying Glamour that, that was it wasn't com. until the 1960s that people were applying mascara to their lower lashes. But I've always imagined it the other way because in the 1960s, I think of eye of of mascara being applied to the top right. and having a nude bottom. Yeah. Which is the method that I prefer because I have beady little fair eyes <laughs> and putting mascara on my lower lashes makes me look weird yeah also notable in 1954 avon launched their ding dong avon calling campaign uh-huh. and that was really you know what made avon by mm-hmm. 1957 there were over 100,000 avon representatives probably one of the most successful pyramid schemes of all time
0: no yeah. except of course religion anyway. <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Wikipedia is very inconsistent on like clothing fashion and like how they divide that up. So uh, yeah. rather than being like the 1950s in fashion, they have chosen to go with 1945 through 1960 in fashion. <laughs> wow. Which is weird. So and yeah. I know we talked about this in the previous one, so I'm not going to belabor it. It's really the mm-hmm. 1960s that we're more interested in here.
0: Yeah. But It'd be it's like 1985 through 2000 in fashion.
1: Right? Like. <sighs> anyway. But it is the, you know, Christian Dior new look silhouette with, you know, longer skirts, the fitted Mm -hmm. waist and the rounded shoulders and, you know, this sort of more structured look to foundation garments. Right, right. I have my doubts about Australian foundation garments, by the way.
0: <laughs> all right.
1: Other notable things, you know, we're kind of seeing this advent of space age fashion, which is like hilariously dated. <laughs> yeah. You know, it reminds me of sort of the this thing that we've kind of been cycling through where like comic books and all of these sort of quote unquote, like nerdy niche interests uh, have gone uh-huh. very mainstream. Yeah. But it's at this point that science fiction really right. starts to go into the mainstream sure. in part because of the cold war mm-hmm. and you know there's more of a fascination with technology maternity wear got popular at this time in part because of the aforementioned lucille ball appearing as the first right, pregnant woman on right. television yeah which is also so insane to think about like how victorian yeah wars they lasted you know for most of a century. Yeah. It's bananas.
0: They lasted for a whole bunch more British monarchs.
1: As far as the men's are concerned, uh, it remained pretty boring. Yeah. Although you do get, again, sort of this greaser and hepcat thing mm. and, you know, teddy boys and, um, you know, the Ivy League. Yes. So there is some variation, but again, it's all, you know, jackets, jackets and shirts and pants right. and shoes. Jackets, jackets, jackets. Yeah. And, and penises as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So we're going to transition to the 1960s because Ray. we did not get super deep into the 1960s <laughs> yeah. previously. So the top nine hairstyles according to beautylaunchpad.com. Ooh. The beehive, of course, which we've already right. talked about yeah, because yeah. it has its roots. <laughs> in the beehive again this was made popular by the ronettes and then culturally appropriated by white people everywhere but also aretha franklin the flipped bob is where it's you know the jackie o thing is the most you know, oh okay the okay most yeah. famous of the flipped bob and often you would see a woman with a bouffant in the center and then the size would be flipped out.
0: Ah, okay. Gosh, look
1: at this picture. Jackie Kennedy was not cute in the face. Yeah, I don't,
0: I mean, I think there's been better
1: photos. Yeah, it is her a, It is an yeah. uh, exceptionally bad photo of her where like her nose looks like it doesn't exist. So, <laughs> right. I shouldn't judge her based on beautylaunchpad.com. <laughs> then we have the mop top which is, of course, oh, the sure. Beatles look. Yeah. You know, more of a bowl cut by yeah. modern standards. And then we have a look that they call the bombshell, Ooh. which I don't know. It's But it's like this sort of teased... Loose, long locks. Their examples are Raquel Welch and Brigitte Bardot. Because, of course, you're getting into the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution is spurred in part by French New Wave cinema.
0: hairstyle. Well, and that. (laughs) Yeah. But you you
1: have all of these sort of like avant-garde European attitudes about how a woman should look and what is sexy. Right. And, of course, the hippies ruin everything.
0: Yeah. But it's not so much a hairstyle. It's just having long hair yeah
1: having long hair that's not put up in any right. way yeah, which yeah, yeah. has not been socially acceptable yeah. ever uh yeah up until probably. this point yeah but like, you know because women who wear their hair down are sluts yeah so the 60s when sluts
0: were king <laughs>
1: <laughs> as i well this is about the 1940s when men were men and women were experimenting with pants <laughs> we do then have the the new pixie, which is similar to the gamine look that right. we talked about previously, the most famous example here is Twiggy, and it's got yeah. a little bit more of a boyish look. You know, you don't necessarily have the bangs going here. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's much more androgynous. Yeah. than the nineteen fifty. Well, iteration. I think it's just
0: like it, it. seems like it's it's more flattened down than the old pixie.
1: Yeah, you mean sleek?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Then we have. <gasps> The Vidal Sassoon cut,
0: Ooh. which
1: is in a way, it's really just a substrate of pixie cuts,
0: grew out of a secret Italian, er, Isp- Itali- out <laughs> of a secret Israeli martial art,
1: just like Sabra hummus. <laughs> so it's Bauhaus inspired. It's very mm. geometrical. Uh. so you know he's playing with form in a way that a lot of hairstylists were not. Right. We don't see this in his hairstyling for. Liz and Margaret in The Crown right. anyway. And in real life, you know, they, they weren't going to yeah. go as structured and geometric. But even Mia Farrow's cut in Rosemary's Baby uh-huh. is is a lot more akin to the gamine look of the 50s. Yeah. Even though that movie was made in 1968. Right, um, right. But, you know, whatever. Afros also become big in the 60s. So -hmm. there is, you know, along with African-Americans advocating for equal rights, Mm -hmm. you know, they're also pushing back against the assimilation uh, with regards to hair in particular. I mean, it's still a very political statement, whether you're going with an Afro or you're going with natural locks, Mm -hmm. you know it's insane you can still be discriminated against for a job because you don't straighten your hair essentially yeah and that's bad so everybody please vote
0: yeah everybody stop it
1: hippie hair (laughs) is just long oh look at your girlfriend Janice joplin who wore a beehive when she briefly decided not to drink herself to death (laughs) and then she went back and drank herself to death
0: yeah well, she was in Port Arthur.
1: And I mean, basically, I mean, hippie hair is just, I don't own a brush.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know, it's yeah.
1: not anything special.
0: Yeah. It's the bombshell look without showering.
1: Yeah. And that's not important. Accessories. Nobody cares. <laughs> uh, just, we know, we know what they are. They're, right. they're hats they, head scarves, and headbands. So, you know, yeah. get off my back.
0: I mean, if you wanted to get like, if they wanted to be specific about like, you know, headbands, say, or something like that, <sighs> like...
1: There's a picture of Mia Farrow.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, man. That's such a great cut. I used to think I couldn't pull that off until I got this haircut. Oh, yeah. I was just like, you know, you're never going to be as thin as Mia Farrow, Kelly.
0: Well, that's You might as well
1: just embrace the head you have. (laughs) Yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting is that some of the other celebrity hairdressers who I think, you know, in, in part are starting to have this cult that sort of leads to like Warren Beatty starring in Shampoo, uh, uh-huh. and, you know, being this like playboy hairstylist. Mm-hmm. All these hairstylists, by the way, were mostly straight. Mm. I don't know about these for sure, but Vidal Sassoon so was like aggressively heterosexual. Right, so right. it's just interesting. Yeah, Because it is. it's such a cultural signifier now Right, that, like, if you do women's hair, you're probably queer.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Louis-Alexander Raymond, who created Elizabeth Taylor's Cleopatra look. He also worked with Greta Garbo and Audrey Hepburn. And this just cracks me up because one of Vidal Sassoon's protégés was named Raymond Besson. And it's like, (laughs) you can only train with Sassoon if you also have a ridiculous last name. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I guess, you know, the primary thing about the hippie hairstyle Is much more that, you know, they're they're accessorizing with like natural things like leather strips and beads Uh, and feathers and that kind of thing. See, that's what
0: I'm saying. That's interesting accessory talk.
1: Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Vidal Sassoon! I'm gonna do a little bit of a deep dive on Vidal himself. All right. He was British American and he was born in extreme poverty in London, and he actually had to live in an orphanage with his family for With his his sibling, I'm sorry, because his mother could not support them. Mm -hmm. She was a single parent because his father abandoned them for another woman. Mm -hmm. And so he and his brother were in this Jewish orphanage, and they stayed there for seven years until... Vidal says was 11, his mother remarried, but she was only allowed to visit them once a month and was never allowed to like take them out of this orphanage. And so he basically got into a hairdressing apprenticeship because of his mother. You know, he had ambitions to do other stuff, but his mom was like, no, you can make a lot of money here. And this is at the age I think of about 14 is when he started working. So he couldn't fight in World War II, but he did become the youngest member of the 43 Group, a Jewish veterans underground organization, which broke up fascist meetings in East London. Oh. His his family... Good job. Uh, yeah. His family was from... They were from Ukraine, and they had to escape the pogroms mm-hmm. in the 1880s. So, uh, Although his father was Greece, so it was his mother's uh-huh. side of the family that were European Jews, and his father were Greek. His father's side of the family were Greek Jews. Yeah. So he was Jewish on both sides. I was just
0: going to say, like that, uh, that guy Rose married or whatever.
1: Yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. God, they ruined her. Anyway. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, even that storyline no. could have been really interesting yeah, in light sure. of the fact that she dated a black guy. Yeah. yeah. But then she was just like, oh, I'm going to be really boring forever and never have an affair with a married man again. Yeah. Ah, Rose. We hardly (laughs) knew ye before they'd ruined ye. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. He trained under Raymond Besson. Oh. Why do you say different? Well, look. It it doesn't. That was a real sketchy website, even by (laughs) Wikipedia standards. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, the 43 group actually worked aggressively against Oswald Mosley. Nice. So they would have been there telling Spargo to stop that Spargo.
0: (laughs) Go Spargo yourself. (laughs)
1: He joined the Haganah, which later became the Israeli Defense Forces, Mm -hmm. and fought in the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. As we have discussed. As we've discussed at length, during an interview, he described the year he spent in training with the Israelis as the best year of his life. So he had a great time. Good. By all accounts, everybody I've ever heard of who's fought in the Israeli Armed Forces has had a great time. Hmm. I may not agree with their policies, but apparently they treat their military great. All right. They would have to. Well, yeah. They've been fighting since 1948. Yeah. So basically... His whole philosophy was that he wanted to get everything down to basics. He didn't like anything superfluous, mm-hmm. and uh, basically, it was his his preferences were like dark hair, very straight and shiny. And cut into these sort of geometrically inspired shapes. Although, uh-huh. honestly, the two pictures on this page are blondes, <laughs> Mia Farrow and Goldie Hawn. So, uh, well. you know, he he then moved to Los Angeles. Oh, also, did you know that his inspiration was Clara Bow? <gasps> Yeah Woo-hoo. your main baby. That's right. He moved to Los Angeles and, you know, at that point, you know, he was much older, obviously. Um, he also launched his line of hair care products in 1973. One of his first clients was the actress Georgia Brown, who was his neighbor and friend, uh-huh. notable to me for originating the role of Nancy in the original production of Oliver. Oh. oh neat. I'm sorry they weren't childhood friends they were friends and neighbors but she was childhood friends with Lionel Bart ah. which is why she got the role he was actually conceiving of it for somebody else gotcha. but most of her ballads were conceived for her specifically oh, so nice. that was something I didn't know which is weird Yeah. considering how freakishly obsessed with Oliver I was <laughs> as a child yeah okay so let's get into the z- makeups of the well, 1960s probably at, the
0: time, at the time you were obsessed with Oliver as a child did you believe Vidal Sassoon was a real person
1: no absolutely <laughs> (laughs) not i just thought it was shampoos (laughs) that we didn't have at my house yeah but i mean oh they had a lot of commercials in the 80s they sure did (laughs) okay so in the 1960s you get a bit more of a natural look in terms of foundation. Mm-hmm. Yardley of London was into the new youth look. Oh sure, and they contracted Twiggy and Jean Shrimpton. Horrible name, Jean. Um, and of course, Patty Boy. Shrimpy. <laughs> So, according to GlamourDays.com, there were three distinct looks in the 60s. The classic, the mod, and the hippie. And the mod is the one that people remember the most. Mm -hmm. Now, the sort of cat eye, heavy on the eyeliner look disappeared. And we go back to eyelashes. This They're showing Twiggy's lashes, which just look weird. Yeah. But, you know, much more in in false lashes and emphasizing that part of the eye anatomy. Right. You're doing false lashes? Yeah, they're horrible. Yeah. I mean everybody
0: keeps saying that. They are I want them to not be horrible. You
1: have to put glue now what you could do is you could get lash extensions Mm. which are permanent. I mean, like you have to get them replaced. Right. But like a professional puts them on and you don't have to take them on and off every day.
0: Okay, fair enough. It's
1: always seemed like a bit too much for me, but I understand.
0: I was just hanging with somebody that had really great false eyelashes one time Mm -hmm. and I was like, I want that.
1: Yeah, listen, everybody wants that, but they're a pain in the ass. All right. The popular eyeshadow palettes here, you're moving away from pastels and into like blues grays and whites mm. apparently this look in the 60s was in f- inspired by flappers which i guess makes sense but i've never thought of it huh. that way lip pencils make a comeback people in the 50s weren't using them mm. quite as much but youthful people kind of dispense with the dramatic lip it's much more of a nude lip yeah yeah and powder foundation compacts started to outsell liquid and cream mm. so you just get a much lower maintenance look in general for everybody
0: yeah yeah
1: Wow, that was really concise. <laughs> and you know, hippies, of course, weren't wearing makeup at all.
0: Right, right. You know,
1: if you talk about the hippie look, like yeah. it's almost not a look at all. Right. Because the whole thing was just like everybody's going natural. Yeah. All right. Now for the fashions. Okay. So the early sixties are, of course, heavily influenced by the 1950s. You haven't sure. you haven't quite gotten to the age of mini skirts and, you know, very heavily like hippie flower child stuff yet so we're not really going to talk about that at length okay i believe we covered this already the bikini was invented in the 1950s right or it was invented in 1946 but in 1963 they got really popular because of the beach party movies featuring annette funicello Uh, and frankie avalon yes so trousers became much more popular and socially acceptable at this point. You know, you got your counterfeit jeans and, <laughs> and and we see shorts come on the scene in the very late 60s. Okay. Space age fashions, you know, go-go boots, uh-huh. all that kind of jazz. Yeah. Mary Quant is credited with introducing the mini skirt, but there's also a guy named Andre Corriges that claimed it. So, you know, who cares? Ah, screw him. Right? Mary Quant all the way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even if he did, I'm sure he stole it from some other woman.
0: Yeah. I bet there's people out there, too. Like those people that think Shakespeare didn't write Shakespeare. They get real uppity about it.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Mary Quant wasn't educated enough to have invented the miniskirt.
1: The miniskirt Oxfordians? That's right. Okay. I don't know why any of this matters.
0: <laughs> Are you talking about everything? Yeah. Or <laughs> well,
1: there's these sort of like archetypes that they're putting out here of like the single girl. So that's like very much like... The Helen Gurley Brown, you know, mm. Cosmo magazine thing yeah. where, you know, you're dressing very professionally but in a feminine way.
0: Falling into a deep depression.
1: <laughs> the Dolly Girls, which essentially just seems kind of like a 1950s silhouette in the 60s. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. The Dolly Girl would wear a mini skirt. Okay. But childish looking clothing. So that's creepy. I
0: feel like I haven't heard of that
1: one. I haven't either. So now we learn something new. Oh, I'm sorry. I lied completely. I just saw the words corset, seam, tights, and skirts, and I assumed that was what they were wearing. Yes, (laughs) in fact, what they were not wearing. (laughs) I see. The other big thing that is happening in the 50s and 60s is that Indian fashion starts to make an impact on Uh, Western fashion. Oh, right. Yeah. So you see the Nehru suit, Mm -hmm. which had a Mandarin collar and patch pockets. Indian women were wearing traditional dress, but at this time, you know, obviously hippies were like, hey, we don't like pants, (laughs) which, you know, fair. Yeah. Pants are terrible.
0: I've never felt like a narrow jacket looked good on anyone except for narrow. Like, I just...
1: (laughs) I thought you were saying narrow... Uh, And I was very confused. I was like, what? Okay, great. Like, is this a Jack Skellington (laughs) thing or what are we doing?
0: You think everything's a Jack Skellington thing. Yeah, because he's great. Uh, He's he's pretty great.
1: He's the unattainable. Because, you know, sometimes I'm like... And you know, I'm like, what were my, like, early crushes? Because, mm-hmm. like, I hear a lot of women always say David Bowie in Labyrinth. Uh-huh. But, like, I was terrified by that movie. <laughs> yeah. But then I was like, oh, I had a big crush on, like, Atreyu in The NeverEnding Story. Oh, uh, yeah. And also call. Jack Skellington. Good call. You know, healthy in either case, who can yeah. say?
0: Like, all three, Ariel, Belle, Jasmine in a row for me. Yeah. Each yeah. of them in a different way. I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not really... Uh, the Disney princes did not do much for me except for Aladdin. Uh, I think the bear chest had a lot to do with I it. I think you're right, yeah. yes. Yeah. Of course, I wanted to be all of the princesses mm-hmm. and have their clothes. Well, me well, too. Yeah. So
0: it was a very complicated yeah, uh, I believe, attraction. Yeah, it took yeah. you
1: this long to figure it out. No, I know. At any rate, the other big trend here is surf fashion. So you see Man. once again the baby boomers are being, you know Ruining everything. Well, and being beach bums. <laughs> yeah. Who ruin everything. And you're still getting, you know, the mod and British invasion influences, which are really just evolutions of the teddy boy and yeah. you know, the greaser look. Right. The Peacock Revolution. What? Oh. Right, <laughs> this is when everybody was like, "Hey, let's be Edwardians for like two years." Oh, We've talked about yeah.
0: this.
1: Fuck you, guys. Yeah. Fuck you, Pete Townsend. <laughs> oh yes, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones here on Wikipedia modeling a women's haircut. <laughs> <laughs> so you know things. Things you know, hemlines are rising. Hairs are getting longer, Yes, and everyone's at the beach, unless you live <laughs> in England, in which case you have decided that it's the shooting party. <laughs> okay, so those are our basics. We're going to get into a couple deep dives on a few things okay. clothing-wise later, but... I want to talk about Anglican religious orders. Yes. Which I found to be particularly interesting because if we recall from Wolf Hall, <laughs> Henry VIII dissolved all of their religious orders when he decided that he wanted to take their monies. Yes. Wikipedia says when he separated the Church of England from papal primacy, that's very diplomatic, Wikipedia. He wanted <laughs> their monies. Yes. So in 1626, the saintly Nicholas Ferrer... I guess it would be like Farrah, Farrah, like in, you know the Farrah's, Okay Farrah's, yeah, sure. in sure. sense and sensibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know. He established the little gidding community. The what and the little gidding. G no, no, I D D I N G I reads it like I sees it.
0: I came across Wikipedia's featured article was about a uh, the uh, soccer club the uh in Gillingham.
1: Ooh, like Antony Gillingham?
0: Yes, except actually the town is pronounced Gillingham.
1: God damn it. I know. I blame Baron Julian. I do too. Anyway, the Little Gidding community was not formally a religious order because they were kind of outlawed at that point still. Right. But they, you know, they were like, oh yeah, let's just hang out. And, you know, we uphold, you know, the high church principles. But the Puritans hated them. Yes. uh, As they would. would. So they called them a Protestant nunnery. And they when, were when was this? This was in sixteen forty one was a pamphlet entitled The Arminian Nunnery.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah. I, Arminians were the people that were accused of being too in with the Catholics.
1: Okay. Well, that's what they thought these people were when really it seems like they just kind of wanted to hang out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They did have visits from King Charles the first three times, which makes sense. Oh, yeah. Uh, And they went extinct in 1657 when their last member died. So I'm like, were they shakers or like what Uh. was the deal? But so it wasn't until the mid 19th century with the Oxford movement, that Anglican orders kind of came back online. Between 1841 and 1855, religious orders for women were begun, including the Community of St. Mary the Virgin at Vantage, Vantage, and Society of St. Margaret at East Grinstead. The men were a bit slower to get involved. Typical. Look, they were just sad that their clothes sucked so much. (laughs) With the Society of St. John the Evangelist, And in North America, they founded an order in Wisconsin called the Nashatoa, Nashata Community, which sounds like appropriating a Native American I'm I'm going to say yes, yeah. And then there was also the much more politically correct Sisterhood of the Holy Communion in New York. Yeah, so basically, you have this period of like several hundred years where there are no... Established religious orders, mm-hmm. and then you know they come back. I'm not going to get too deep into it. They do have orders that are pretty similar to the Catholic ones in typical Protestant fashion, <laughs> um, just copying all of us. That's right, but being fine with gay people. I guess that's good.
0: Yeah, that's probably a good Um, call. um
1: Anyway, notably, Nanatus House mm-hmm. is not a real order or yes. the order of St. Raymond Nanatas is fictional. Mm-hmm. It is based upon the community of St. John the Divine. Mm. So uh, it's renamed that in the books and the drama series, I assume, for like reasons. Yes. Of like you know, humility or something.
0: Yeah. No, she actually explains it in the book.
1: Oh, oh, right. I keep forgetting that you're reading the book. Well, feel free to chime in here because now
0: I can tell the midwife.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But for those who care, Raymond Nanatus was a Catalan saint. He was born in 1204, which is surprisingly specific. I just feel like usually it's like circa. Right, right. Uh, But he's known as Raymond Nannatus because he was born by Caesarean section. He was from his mother's womb untimely rip i was gonna make that joke but that's fine <laughs> oh sorry oh it's fine yeah yeah so he was a cool saint and it makes sense that he is the you know namesake of nanata's house right right because you know babies delivering them they do it <laughs> and he was of course he was a catholic no
0: it is i mean really, uh, because though, he
1: died in the 1240s like, so
0: shouldn't they be yes not house
1: <laughs> <laughs> moving on <laughs> and also just fyi the nuns from the order that inspired nanada's house Mm. do watch the show dare i say religiously (laughs) they always set their dvr nice i am gonna skip all this information on midwifery oh good yeah i'm exhausted Well, this it all
0: just seems like it would disturb me.
1: Well, this is like the third podcast that I've recorded today. And I'm <laughs> yeah. very, very tired and hungry for meat. <laughs> but basically, I did find something really interesting that's about how pregnancy and birth are very different in the UK versus the US. Because some people had asked for information on how they differed at the time. Mm. And the biggest difference is that Healthcare in the United States had already gotten extremely industrialized versus Great Britain. Uh-huh. And of course, the reason for that is that Britain established the national health right. shortly after World War II ended, mm-hmm. whereas the United States was very busy being afraid of communism. Yes. And at the same time, you know, empowering all of the people that are still running this country mm-hmm. to determine who was and was not worthy of healthcare based sure. on their employment. Yeah. And U.S., you know, midwifery and, and prenatal care is very intervention based Mm. whereas in great britain you know they aren't doing pap smears when you're pregnant they're not doing glucose tests regularly like they just they don't test for things if you're not presenting symptoms Mm, mm -hmm. so i will probably post these articles just because there's so much information yeah yeah. um cesarean sections are much more common in the u.s yeah and they were clocking like 98 percent hospital births In the 50s and 60s, mm -hmm. whereas although hospital births have increased in Great Britain, you still have access to a midwife who comes and does home visits and home births are still a lot more common Mm -hmm. in Great Britain. I opened so many things about midwifery <laughs> and I think that's why I'm not talking about any of them is yeah. that I like pulled the most information on them. Yeah. But we did have a request to talk about Crimplene. It's a texturized continuous fiber launched in 1959 oh. produced by modifying Terylene and basically
0: (laughs) why would you modify tarrylene it's perfect as it is
1: well because a lot of polyester yarns were irritable to the skin when made into clothing
0: oh that's actually good and
1: companies have been trying for a long time to find an artificial yarn alternative Mm. so they basically took tarrylene and boiled it a long time in a pressure cooker And the name Crippling was chosen.
0: See, I feel like that can't have been the first thing they tried. And now I don't want to know what the other things they tried Look, it's a
1: very short article. I was surprised (laughs) there wasn't more information. Uh, They named it Crippling because the headquarters of the company that developed it, ICI uh, was headquartered nearby the Crimple Valley, but also because the word crimp means to fold and intertwine. Sure. And, uh, let's see. In 1960, an article appeared in the industry's journal, The Hosiery Times, <laughs> that caused a sensation and crimpling clothing was launched at high society fashion shows in London, Paris, New York, and Milan. And it was very popular. This is like the original wash and wear.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. So
1: that's yeah. what's so remarkable about it. And, um, It made most of the A-line dresses of the 1960s. However, in the 1970s, crimpling fell out of fashion and other lighter weight polyester fabrics like Trevira replaced it for their ease of movement and ventilation. So I guess this was like wearing a tarp.
0: Yeah, probably. Uh,
1: Yeah. And it's very seldom used today. I mean, just polyester in general has fallen way out of fashion. Crimpling suits were regarded in some countries. Citation is needed. The note here (laughs) is when... Where? (laughs) Who are you? Who did this? As working men's going out clothes. Oh, and Mario Nava, who invented it, or had the patent or something, received an OBE in Uh, 1979.
0: For services in boiling polyester. Exactly. And,
1: uh, sorry, I just keep going back to Vidal Sassoon. (laughs) Vidal Sassoon received a CBE. Ah. Yeah.
0: Take that, Mario whatever. Nava. Yeah.
1: So, pantyhose... Let's talk about pantyhose. Let's. So, uh, basically, because hemlines were rising so much, it wasn't as great to have over-the-knee stockings that were held up with garter belts. Mm. During the 1940s and 50s, stage and film producers would sew stockings to the briefs of their actresses and, a- and dancers, as testified to by singer, actress, dancer, Ann Miller. Okay. So So, these were sort of proto-pantyhose. Right. Right. But... When, you know, miniskirts and that kind of thing came into vogue, it became more necessary for women who weren't in show business uh-huh. to wear pantyhose. Yeah, but basically, after 1995, sort of the bare legs revolution happened and people stopped mm. wearing pantyhose. Yeah. Although now, you know, more like tights and fishnet hose and that kind of thing uh, are more popular. Apparently, there are pantyhose for men referred to as mantyhose. Great.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of uh, copyright and patent Issues around pantyhose, uh, so. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that was not helpful. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> it seemed helpful before, but my blood sugar is very low. Yeah, I, I, I know how that can happen. Finally, we're getting into royal family stuff. Woo! We're talking about their dress code, which is not really that well-known. This is speculation, Mm -hmm. primarily. So the queen used to wear a hat all the time, and now she wears it more just for formal uh, occasions. Okay. They also address why Prince George always wears shorts. This is much more tied to sort of the practice of, like, breeching.
0: Right. If you
1: recall, when boys wear short pants, and then when you came of age, you could wear long pants. Yeah. They're doing that. Sure. The queen always wears gloves, you know, which were a fashion item, but now she's wearing gloves instead of refusing to shake hands with people because she doesn't want to get sick. Uh, Um, You know, they provide a barrier against germs. Yeah. And I would say their, their casual wear is actually very much in line with this sort of Ivy Ivy league trend that we talked about. Yeah. It's, it's very preppy. It's, it's up. uh, It's been updated somewhat, but it's Mm -hmm. still pretty standard, you know, Uh, button downs and blazers and cardigans, you know, Hemlines are always very modest, Uh as are necklines. Yeah, The queen wears extremely bright colors because she is reported to have once said, if I wore beige, nobody would know who I am. And uh, nobody else will care, but her personal assistant is named Angela Kelly, which I like. (laughs) Yeah. We already knew this from Downton Abbey, but no unmarried woman will wear a tiara. Ah, yeah. So, FYI, if you are unmarried, quit wearing tiaras, bitches. Yeah. Or you'll hear from Tommy Lassel's. (laughs) Aw. I love him. I okay, love him. so we get into some fact-checking on Prince Philip's portrayal in The Crown. Ooh. And so apparently he did not have this... Well, I don't know. This, I think, is speculation as well. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. They're saying that him not wanting to kneel to Queen Elizabeth is unlikely, which doesn't mean that uh, it is disproved. Right. But look, clickbait is what it is. Yeah, He did try to get the royal name to be changed to Mountbatten. Sure. He had a difficult childhood that, you know, yeah. I don't know how you could do that. They do say that his parents did not blame him for for his sister's death.
0: I'd seen that as well.
1: And that, you know, there wasn't this big fight at school or this half-term visit or any of these things. So, they say that he was not part of the profumo scandal. I believe that is wishful thinking. Yeah. It also downplays his involvement with Mike Parker. And the Thursday Club. Hmm. Thursday. Ah, Quasi. That's right. Yeah, callbacks. (laughs) Not super helpful. But we're going to end on what The Telegraph calls 48 of Prince Philip's greatest gaffes and funny moments. (laughs) Now, it is unclear to me... Uh, if they are differentiating between a gaff and a funny moment, because much of this is quite horrible. Okay. Okay, Amy, uh, let's play a game. We're going to go through all 48 of these. <laughs> and let's assume they mean gaff to be, you know, not good. Right. Let's assume that they mean gaff to be horribly offensive thing that we are making light <laughs> of because we are a publication in the UK. Yeah. But you get to classify it as a gaff. Or a funny moment? All right. One, British women can't cook. Uh, funny moment. Great. I would agree because by all accounts, British food historically has been terrible. Right. And this was in 1966. Right. Two, what do you gargle with? Pebbles speaking to singer Tom Jones after the 1969 Royal Variety performance.
0: All right, funny thing.
1: Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just Tom Jones. Yeah, it's, yeah. Number three, I declare this thing open, whatever it is, on a visit to Canada in 1969. <laughs> was he referring to Canada? It's unclear what he's referring to. <laughs> Seems like a gaffe then. I agree. Yeah. Like, if you want the Commonwealth to respect you, respect the Commonwealth. <laughs> that's right. It's a two-way street. Everybody was saying we must have more leisure. Now they are complaining they are unemployed during the 1981 recession. Oh, wow, that's a gaffe. Right. Yikes. I mean, Jesus, like, why don't wow. you get farther up Margaret Thatcher's ass? <laughs> if it has got four legs and it is not a chair, if it has got two wings and it flies, but it is not an aeroplane, and if it swims and is not a submarine, the Cantonese will eat it at a 1986 World Wildlife <laughs> Fund meeting.
0: Wow. Seems seems like a gaffe to me there. Yeah. I agree. At the World Wildlife... Wait, he was at the World Wildlife Fund. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, he thinks the Cantonese are savages. Yeah.
0: So he's blaming them for the extinctions. All right.
1: It looks like a tart's bedroom. On seeing plans for the Duke and Duchess of York's house at Sunningal Park in 1988. I mean, that just seems mean. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem <laughs> I agree. like either one. Yeah. Okay. So you can have a third category. All right. Yak, yak, yak. Come on. Get a move on. Shouted from the deck of Britannia in Belize in 1994 to the Queen, who was chatting to her hosts on the quayside.
0: <laughs> um, I guess gaff, like that he was overheard, you know?
1: Wait, do you mean funny moment because gaff was bad gaff is the bad thing
0: oh uh, yeah that's true
1: i mean that seems mean to me
0: yeah we'll go with me it's unfair right. on liz yeah yeah
1: we didn't have counselors rushing around every time somebody let off a gun asking are you all right are you sure you don't have a ghastly problem you just got on with it about the second world war commenting on modern stress counseling for servicemen in 1995 oof has it occurred to you that perhaps because you did not have that is why you turned out to be such an enormous prat?
0: Yes. Gaff.
1: How do you keep the natives off the booze long enough to get them through the test to a driving instructor in Oban, Scotland during a 1995 walkabout? That would be Gaff. Yep. If a, we should probably be tracking this, but I, yeah, I can well. already say we're only uh, less than a quarter of the way through, and I think gaff, the gaffs have it. Uh, yes. If a cricketer, for instance, suddenly decided to go into a school and batter a lot of people to death with a cricket bat, which he could do very easily, I mean, are you going to ban cricket bats? In 1996, Amid calls to ban firearms after the Dunblane shooting. Gaff. Absolutely a gaff. Yeah. Look, a cricket bat doesn't have bullets.
0: Yes. I, yeah. Anyway, a particularly dispiriting gaffe at the moment.
1: Bloody silly, you know, actually, that will be, you know, accurate at any time that anybody right. listens
0: to I don't this. know when we're going to post this, but I assume.
1: So anyway. There will have been a mass shooting. Yeah. Bloody silly fool in 1997, referring to a Cambridge University car park attendant who did not recognize him. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I, I think that's funny. Yeah. Myself.
0: It's, yeah, like, it wasn't intended to be funny, but I laughed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it looks as if it was put in by an Indian, pointing at an old-fashioned fuse box in a factory near Edinburgh in 1999. That that would be a gaff. That's a gaff. Deaf? If you are near there, no wonder you are deaf. Two young deaf people in Cardiff in 1999, <laughs> referring to a school steel band.
0: <laughs> gaffe.
1: It's such a gaff that it's funny. Yeah. Luckily, they could not hear him, <laughs> although I'm sure they had a very conscientious translator that was like, this guy's an asshole. Yeah. They must be out of their minds in the Solomon Islands in 1982 when he was told that the annual population growth was 5%. What? I don't even know how to, like, parse yeah. that. Yeah. So. I- yeah. You are a woman, aren't you, in Kenya in 1984 after accepting a small gift from a local woman.
0: <laughs> Gav, yeah. Yeah.
1: He has someone standing behind him, Tony Hale in deep style. Yes. If you stay here much longer, you'll all be slitty eyed to British students in China during the 1986 state visit. Wow. Yep. That's one of the most, that one and the, the Indian fuse box yeah. comment are two of the most
0: wow. yeah. uh,
1: frequently referenced when people are like, <laughs> this guy's an asshole. <laughs> Your country is one of the most notorious centers of trading in endangered species in the world in Thailand in 1991 after accepting a conservation award. Um, that's, that's actually, like, fi- that's bad. Yeah, a fact. like that's, yeah. Yeah. Like, he obviously, if he's accepting a conservation award, the people trading an endangered species either aren't in the room or they're under deep cover. (laughs) Right. Oh, no, I might catch some ghastly disease in Australia in 1992 when asked to stroke a koala bear. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, it's still... Animals are ridden with disease. Yeah. Even, like, you know, he's trying to save them. He
0: could get koala chlamydia. (laughs)
1: Oh right, that's a thing. That's a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> you can't have been here that long. You haven't got a pot belly to a Briton in Budapest, Hungary in 1993. <laughs> that's nonsensical. <laughs> I don't know what that means.
0: How do you, how are you stereotyping Hungarians?
1: I don't know, man. Aren't most of you descended from pirates to a wealthy islander in the Cayman Islands in
0: 1994? <laughs> <laughs> Seems gaffy to me. Yeah.
1: You managed not to get eaten, then, suggesting to a student in 1998 who had been trekking in Papua New Guinea that tribes there were still cannibals.
0: But they really, like, over-explained that one, actually. Yeah, I know.
1: (laughs) So, okay, whatever. Yeah. In Germany in 1997, he welcomed German Chancellor Helmut Kohl at a trade fair as Reichskanzler. The last German leader who used the title was Adolf Hitler. (laughs) although i feel like with his family history yeah uh you know he might want to be like airing on the it side like, of-
0: it was just like an instinctive thing like dr strange love
1: yeah <laughs> my viewer you're too fat to be an astronaut to 13 year old andrew adams who told philip he wanted to go into space <laughs> salford 2001 wow I wish he turned the microphone off, muttered at the Royal Variety performance as he watched Sir Elton John perform (laughs) 2001. Yeah, not everybody likes Elton John. That's true. Yeah. Do you still throw spears at each other in Australia in 2002 (laughs) talking to a successful aborigine entrepreneur? Wow, you look like a suicide bomber to a young female officer wearing a bulletproof vest on Stornoway, Isle of Lewis, in two thousand two. Do you know they're now producing eating dogs for anorexics to a blind woman outside Exeter in two thousand two? What? That is like the best worst joke I've ever heard. Though <laughs> that's like that's like
0: a Mad Libs one right there. <laughs>
1: Well, you didn't design your beard too well, did you? To designer Stephen Judge about his tiny goatee beard. (coughs) You know what? July 2009.
0: Sweet burn, Philip. I'm going to give you that one. Oh, my God.
1: Oh, goodness gracious. There's a lot of your family in tonight after looking at the name badge of businessman Atul Patel at a palace reception for British Indians in October 2009. Ah, yeah. Do you work at a strip club to 24-year-old Barn Sea cadet Elizabeth Rendell when she told him she also worked in a nightclub in March 2010. Uh. I am actually going to stop here because I am so hungry. <laughs> I cannot keep talking about how well. ridiculous Prince Philip
0: is. <laughs> All right. Well more next time yeah so this has been fashion
1: back well we might come back you know it'll still be the 60s on the crown that's true and it'll still be the 60s on call the midway i mean
0: it's gonna keep being philip the whole time so yeah Yeah, right that's
1: true we should save some (laughs) that's right i'm just so delighted that it's menzies yes you
0: know no that'll help
1: (laughs) so we're gonna get (laughs) off of here sounds good until next time up up yours yours downstairs, downstairs